0: we don't usually talk about the defense as like a big part of our podcast because we, there usually isn't as much to talk about as there is tonight. So
1: it's usually just like, like, wow, they were good again. Yeah. All right.
0: Yeah. It's like, okay, now we're talking about the biggest.
1: Except except when Brian just decides to hate on Hampus Lindholm. I was thinking of him.
0: I was thinking of him a lot. I could hear his voice like, it's like it was over my shoulder as we were sitting because me and scott sit next to each other and, and by the way scott loves that so much i was singing one direction to him um that's what makes you beautiful and he was just like ignoring me completely but it's like brian sitting there with us because i can like hear his voice like god bad turnover by lynn home like just like feel like he's he, his like mindset somehow has like crept into my own internal thought process <laughs> but without going into what Brian's thoughts might've been, we'll we'll wait for him to come in. This is the biggest test the Bruins defense had the entire season. You call up three guys, one being Mason Lore, who has not played an NHL game. He had a great preseason, but this is his NHL debut, which is huge for him. Uh, Ian Mitchell being the player that had already been up, but had been waived, went down to Providence, come back. And then Parker Witherspoon, who a lot of people were texting me the day before the game, when he got called up, who is this? Um, I thought Plead solidly. I I would say that the, the Witherspoon Mitchell pair, the best way I could describe it was like adequate. And that's that's what they needed to be. They weren't special. They made some reads that weren't correct, but they also, gener- Ian Mitchell jet- does have a way of generating offense with his shot. Um, and I thought Weatherspoon well, didn't look like a defensive liability, and I know those don't sound like really high marks for a, for a D pair. But in the minutes that they had, they weren't a liability. And sometimes when you get, you have to call up three defensemen. Somebody there is not ready for you know for for that kind of task.
1: Yeah, that they were they were fine for what they had to do. They obviously didn't get a ton of you know. Weatherspoon and Mitchell are both under 14 minutes and that's about what you expect. Like that's, you know, you don't want to have to rely on those two for a whole, whole lot. And the Bruins really didn't have to. Um, they clearly relied on, on the top four. If you, you know, you look at their eyes time, Lindholm ends up at 29, 31. Um, Carlo, almost 23, Shattenkirk, 22 and Laurie 21, 28 and his NHL debut. And, uh you know, Montgomery talked about basically just trusting Laura. Like, the more he played, the more he stacked good shifts on, on top of each other, the more he felt comfortable just rolling him out there. And, you know, down down the stretch on the third period, it really did become, like, pretty close to just a, a four-man rotation where uh, he put Lindholm and Carlo back together to match up against the Matthews line. He felt like the Matthews line had started to win its matchup a little bit too much. So decides to reunite the shutdown pairing. And then Laura and Shattenkirk ended up together after Laura obviously started the game with Carlo and Laura and Shattenkirk looked pretty good together too. Um, Obviously, you know, got them at least away from Matthews, but that means they got a lot of Tavares and Nylanders. So it's not like that's a whole lot easier. That's still a really good line, um, but yeah, I mean, Laura was was making things happen. They're throwing him out there, uh, throwing him out there for a lot of offensive zone faceoffs because it's like, yeah, in a, in a tie game, that's he's one of your best bets to try to create an offensive chance. Like he already has that as you know, twenty two year old rookie making his debut. It's clear like what he can bring at that end of the ice and I thought as the game went on he he got more and more comfortable at the other end of the ice too um you know you saw a good stick from him uh you know breaking up chances in the D zone he's got there weren't a ton of penalties which was actually great it was nice to have a Bruins game that wasn't a, a special teams fest for once because a lot of this game games played at 5 on 5 and it was really exciting hockey like it was it was up and down, lots of chances both ways. Um, but Loride did end up he was second among Bruins defensemen in shorthanded time, and part of that is because one of the penalties was on Brandon Carlo, so he's your number one penalty killer and couldn't be out there for that for that uh PK. Um, but yeah, there was like there was one sequence where L- Loride twice broke up ch- you know, one of the few times you noticed Tyler Bertuzzi. Uh, Laura, got a stick on Bertuzzi rebound chance that would have been just about a, a wide open net if uh, if Laura hadn't gotten a stick in there. And then, like seconds later, just straight up stole a puck from Bertuzzi and uh, cleared it cleared it up to Marshand, and that basically killed the end of the penalty.
0: Laura is sneaky on offense. All of a sudden, he sneaks down and like he had a point blank chance in the crease. And I was like, who was that? Oh, what, that, how, when did he get down there? Like all of a sudden he was just there. He was at the side of the net a few times. And then in overtime, they have him on a shift with uh, Zaka and Pasternak. And he's just parked in front of the net. Like he's letting Zaka and Pasta like circle the top of the zone. And he's just, literally just park himself there. It was like interesting strategy. You don't want your, like, Kostronak isn't the most reliable defensive player to have your defenseman shifted that low. Uh, I was like, that's an interesting strategy. But you know what? It must have been part of it because he doesn't, he's not, he's, it's his first game. He's not just going and parking in front of the net in a three on three overtime situation unless Montgomery said, go do that. So I don't think that was just like an ad lib on his part. I think that that's what they wanted him to do.
1: Yeah, for sure. It certainly seemed intentional because, like, as soon as they got into the zone, he went right there. Um, And and part of like, obviously he's used to battling in front of the net in the D zone. So you figure he, you would think like those skills can translate. Um, You know, I, I know I've seen at practice plenty of times where they do drills where there's net front battles and, you know, the defenseman will be defending one time through and then like be on the offensive side of it the next time. And, you know, you sort of wonder like, what's the point of having Brendan Carlo like be a net front guy on offense and a drill, but it's because it's like, it's all the same ideas. It's all, it's all still about positioning and, and um, you know, just winning those battles. So I'm sure Laura's skills translate and, you know, another thing that like really stands out in his game and, and plenty of people have said this is just his ability to make plays in small areas, like how good his hands are for, Someone his size with, with that reach, like you don't see too many players like that who, you know, can make like a quick little deke to get inside a a four checker and start a breakout. Like Matt Grizzly can do that. We've seen him do that, but that's because he, you know, he's not as lanky. He's not as rangy. Like there's not as much going on to try to coordinate, to make that kind of move. And Laura is just so smooth. And he had, he did a, couple times where it's like you know it would be kind of tight quarters and he would just get it make like a quick move and next thing you know it's he's going up ice or it's off his stick for a pass um you know you saw him have a couple 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 nice stretch passes uh in transition and again that's just that that confidence growing you know i asked him after the game like could you feel your confidence growing throughout the game and he said like yeah and it's like that's when you start to see him making more, more plays, but still smart plays, like not, not taking crazy risks or anything like that, but just realizing like he can play at this speed. He can play against this competition. He can do the things that he was doing in Providence or at Ohio state before that, that like, yeah, he's he's good enough to still do those things at this level.
0: And, and his teammates all have confidence in him to play that way. And one of the things that was talked about by Jim Montgomery, who first of all said that he belongs here and he told them, you know, you're an NHL player, go prove it to, you know, go prove it out there. Um, Montgomery was playing him out of necessity, partly, but in probably what was a more comfortable role for him, which is a top four defenseman role. Like not just filling in with a few minutes, not getting into the flow of things. Uh, he was able to kind of play a normal style game for what he's used to at Ohio state, where he was getting a lot of ice time in in Providence. And, uh, that I think really freed him up to not get in his own head, not worry too much shift by shift, like knowing he was going to get his ice time. And he, he did get into a rhythm. I thought he broke up some plays really well. Um, just was hit like a stick check or picking off a pass, um, I like the Lori Carlo pairing, but I also thought it was effective when they, when they took it apart and put them with Shattenkirk. So um, I think I, my main question here now is with these call-ups and with McAvoy, though he's appealing, very rarely suspensions get changed. Um, so this was game one, three games left on his suspension. Grizzly on long-term IR, Forbert day-to-day, how sustainable is it to have, say Forbert doesn't come back or, or maybe he comes back? Um, How sustainable is it to have these three defensemen in your lineup, have it hold up and, you know, not notice as much that you have those key guys out of the lineup?
1: I mean, it held up against the Leafs and they have one of the most talented offenses in the league, even, even though they haven't really been like, Leafs are middle of the pack and scoring right now. So they haven't, quite been playing like that but we know what the talent level is so you know uh, saturday will be another test you know bruins just faced the red wings we talked about how especially offensively they've been off to a great start so that'll be another good test dallas is a really good team like yeah they're gonna be tested um they might get forward back he's considered day-to-day so uh possible he returns but um yeah, I mean, I guess I like I would say I'm still relatively confident in a top four of, you know, however you want to line it up, Lindholm, Shattenkirk, Lori, and Carlo. Like, I don't know, I, I think Shattenkirk's been playing pretty well when he's gotten bumped up with, you know, better players, I thought. I had mentioned on the last pod, like, him and Lindholm together, even in you know, a small amount of ice time, had been good even before tonight. I thought they were solid to start. And then Shattenkirk with Lurie as the game went on, I thought looked good. So I still think that's a fairly strong top four. And then, yeah, the third pair, like I would have questions if you have to go five games with a Wotherspoon-Mitchell third pairing, but you're probably not going to. It might be one more game. It might not be any more games. Like, Forbert could be back the next game. So, um you know, not that Forbert's, like, a huge difference maker. I think, you know, I've been pretty clear, and we've been pretty clear that, like, you know, we're maybe not the biggest Forbert fans in the world, but at least he's, you know, he's an established NHLer and uh, can provide some um you know solid play on that third pairing and obviously on on the penalty kill
0: yeah and and obviously people are probably thinking what about Jacob's Borel but we believe that it's a cap situation that he has no. a higher no
1: that they they have plenty of cap space i think he's just that far down the depth chart if if they had wanted him here over parker weatherspoon he he'd be here so i don't okay it's not well, that you know not. obviously not obviously not a great sign for where he is in, in the Bruins eyes right now, but um you know I did I did see he had an assist, I think Wednesday night in Providence's game. So I don't know, maybe he's starting to turn a corner, but um yeah, it seems like it's been not maybe not the best start for him down in Providence.
0: And I guess that brings me to the next point, which is maybe if either Mitchell or Weatherspoon struggles, maybe sees a world at some point, depending on how long the overlap is of these three defensive injuries. Um, and not to be overlooked in why this could be sustainable, even though for a lot of teams, they don't have the depth to, just, to sustain that um, for say a four game or or so stretch is because they don't have the kind of goaltending that the Bruins have. And Jeremy Swimman had another amazing game in net Allmark has been great all season. That's why they don't have anything in the loss column this year yet. So Swayman, first of all, in shootout, Swayman just, you can tell just by his body language that he loves doing it. And he also has mentioned that he he's one of the goalies who just loves a shootout. Um, and he's going against and making a stop against Austin Matthews. Uh, so, and I believe uh, Nylander was the, the first Skater. Um, and so those are two guys that are very difficult to stop. He read it the whole way. Um, I wouldn't say it was luck. Sometimes it is with a with a score like those two, but no, he he had really great reads. He had some amazing saves earlier in the game, and goaltending really fixes or uh patches up some of the holes in a roster that might be struggling defensively. Not that the Bruins are struggling defensively, but they have more blemishes without McAvoy for sure.
1: Yeah. the Toronto had a lot of shots. I thought for the most part, the Bruins did a decent job, at least taking away like the slot area, but they did still break through for a couple, like really point blank chances where it was just like pure reaction for Swayman. And, um, you know, the, the, the two goals against like, I don't know how much he could have done there. The, the first one, we didn't mention this while we were talking about Lorai, but, uh, you know, Marner kind of steps inside Carlo and uh, his shot deflects off Lorai's stick and goes in. It looked like it was probably actually going to go wide had it not gone off Lorai's stick, um, which was a tough break for Lorai because actually, earlier that same exact shift, he sent Zaka in alone and could have could have made 3 nothing, but Samsonov made a good save on Zaka. Um, And then Toronto's second goal, with, which was only a minute three after the first, it's just an awesome shot by Matthews, like, you know, virtually no time and space to get that off and just an absolute rocket of a release over a swim shoulder right under the crossbar like I don't it's know how much make... any goalie's really doing about that one, so.
0: No, it's kind of one of those shots where there's only such a small percentage of players that can get it off, which means that you're you're probably not reading shoot necessarily, or at least not a shot like that in that situation as a defense or a goaltender. So um, that one, I don't fault him on either. And it was kind of a series of unfortunate events where, um, like you mentioned, there was a chance on the other end with Laura and Zaka and then you kind of get caught a little bit deeper than you want to there and um, have to try to fight your way back.